resolve to fear God. As a matter of fact, let me give you a title change if you want to write it down. Um, that title is fine, um, but the title change would be this, and we'll call it a worthy resolution, colon, fearing God. A worthy resolution, fearing God. Um, and selected passages. And as we think about this coming year, and I even asked some of you earlier about um, whether or not you had any resolutions for the year. And, and many people do look back and they note the resolutions that they failed to keep. I have over the years made resolutions and said, I'll do this in the giving year. And sometimes it starts out quite well and there's a great deal of passion and intention behind it. Uh, and then it sort of wanes as time goes on. And especially when I was younger, some of the resolutions that I made um, really didn't have much to do with eternal purposes. So I tend to think now when I do make some resolutions um, that I want them to have some impact in eternity. Just because as, as I think about my life as a Christian, as I think about my life as a pastor, and as I think about my life now with more uh, age under my belt, if you will, that you have to think about things more seriously, more soberly. And people make all sorts of resolutions, as you know, people um, probably on New Year's Eve or maybe even yesterday or even today, um, people around the world say they're going to quit smoking. Um, people said they're going to lose weight, they're going to get in shape, they're going to read more, they're going to eat healthier, they're going to give up fried foods, they're going to cut back on their cholesterol, uh, things like that. They're going to spend more time with family. Some will say, I really need to spend more time with family because our days are, are numbered. And a myriad of other well-intended um, commitments. And, and everything that I mentioned, nothing was wrong with them um, to get in shape. And I think about that as well. You know, I... I, I need to get out there and run a little bit more than I do. I, I'm probably in the next year, I need to stretch, literally stretch a lot more. I'm having some issues with this right hip, and I'm just thinking with my piriformis syndrome and, and all sorts of other issues that are going on, so I do need to stretch. I have a regiment to do it. I'll do that. I thought about other things. I, I, let me expand my reading. I tend to read a lot of things that have to do with my messages and what I teach at the seminary uh, are issues that are happening. But let me expand that and introduce some other genres to my reading. And, and I plan to do that. And I also thought, well, how do I love better? That is the people around me. Um, how do I love family better? How do I love those under my care better? So I thought about those things and how they might have some impact um, on my life and the life of others, and ultimately for eternity. And nothing wrong with a resolution, because when you think about it, men and women throughout history have made resolutions, and some of them making those resolutions and keeping to them, they changed the world, haven't they? I am resolved to figure out there must be some antibiotic. I'm resolved to discover this part of the world. Um, I'm resolved to develop some technology, and people have done it. So nothing wrong with resolutions. And, and when we look in the Bible, there are obviously resolutions in the Bible. Um, Christ, it says, was resolved to go to Jerusalem. He was fixed to go to Jerusalem, and he would go to Jerusalem, and what would happen? He would give his life as a ransom for many, and obviously that changed the world. And there are people that can be resolved for evil as well, um, which is absolutely the case if you look through history. People have been resolved to be tyrants. Um, actually, one book that I'm going to read um, is Dictatorships in Africa. And the part of the reason that interests me is that um, I read one book before, um, uh, African scholar that looks, and he, the title of the book is Why is Africa Poor?, because if you look at the minerals that are available resources, why can't African nations at times get on their feet and get going, if you will? And he, he answers it from a person that is African. His, his people go back 
centuries and centuries. This is what has been observed. And some of it has to do with tribalism. And in this book that I want to read, it has to do with what happened uh, once colonialism was released. Um, African nations gained freedom that you see time and time again. Some dictator stepped in and stole all the resources for himself. He was resolved, though, but it was for evil. Um, in their moments, I think all of us, we stop and we evaluate our lives and we ask ourselves a question, which is, where do I go from here? What is next? At least you should. And in one sense, that's a question we should ask on a very consistent basis. Don't you agree? Where am I in life? Where do I go from here? How can I be better? And that's thoroughly biblical. It's something that I had mentioned to you maybe even months ago. You remember from Thessalonians, um, this great thought, which is to excel still more. Think about that. And in context, um, Paul's um, admonition, exhortation uh, to excel still more. Um, think about the statement itself. He says, you should excel because you're mediocre. That's not what he said. You should excel because you're moving in the wrong direction. That's not what he said. He said what? Excel what? Still more. You're doing an excellent job. The Thessalonians um, were a, a church to be commended. And that's what you see throughout the book is commendation. But he said, uh, don't be content where you are. Because if we think about it, uh, we do have a standard that we should follow. And what is that standard? That standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're all striving to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we can all do what? Better, can't we? Of course we can. Absolutely we can because we fall short every day in some way. And so we have to have resolutions that are worthy of God. And when we make those resolutions, either they're going to help us reach a goal, they're going to catapult us forward, or we're going to move backwards. And if you don't have a resolution in your heart uh, to be a better Christian, you are moving backwards. There is no neutrality uh, with Christianity. Uh, because if you ask a person, well, how are you doing in the Lord? Well, I'm just, I'm hanging in there. What is hanging in there? No, you're moving backwards. And that's what we need to, even as I said earlier, our, our fellowship can be effective that we need to learn how to urge others and exhort others and encourage others to excel more, to be resolved in this Christian life. Um, we should all ask ourselves, where am I right now spiritually in my life? You know, it's amazing when you think about kids and family and you see them grow up and, and they change around you um, and... I sent a, a picture of a friend of mine in my former church. It was my younger son and his younger, his older son. And I said, oh, amazing how they've changed so much. And he wrote me back, Happy New Year. It's amazing how they've changed. I remember when we were together in your church there when I was pastoring before I came back here. And look how they've changed. And his son now, he's in, his dad was a good bet baseball player and he's coach and and he's uh his son is playing baseball now and my younger son told me he may get drafted now in his first year in college or something by the angels or the padres i'm thinking that's not the little kid i knew <laughs> he's changed and he was resolved to be a better baseball player and he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked because it says i seem to have a talent let me nurture this talent and this is where he is now. And it was this amazing thinking about how we all change because we all need improvement. Do you agree with that? Are you in need of a spiritual improvement? And if you say that you aren't, you're definitely in need of spiritual improvement. <laughs> Do we agree with that as well? Amen. amen. I heard her name in. Wow. Uh, former Baptist in here, right? And <laughs> people haven't forgot how to say Amen. Right? Charismatics aren't the only ones that say amen. Read the Gospel of John. And, and Jesus Christ said amen and amen. Or truly, truly, I say to you. Um, we want to make a difference for the cause of Christ, don't we? 2022. What does it have for us? Who knows? Because think about it. Uh, if we, we talk back to 2020, around March, April of 2020, what happened to the world? 
oh, it was great. And all of a sudden, I remembered I preached uh, a message in the evening service here at Grace Church in March. I forget it was maybe the 7th or something like that. And lo and behold, COVID. And then we didn't meet for a couple of months. And then the world changed. And it would never be the same again. Just like that. And people surely had um, resolutions going into 2020. Here are all the things that I'm going to accomplish. And then lo and behold, the world changed. A sovereign God is still in control. And now we have to adjust, don't we? Amen. We adjust. But here, here's my main point. When you think about a resolution, the resolution has to have a foundation. Because if you build anything, uh, the foundation is important, is it not? That's why you go to downtown L.A., you go to any city, you go to homes, um, you go to a developing community, you see them building homes, and where do they start? They start with what? A foundation. And, of course, if the structure is going to be tall, um, the foundation is rather deep, is it not? Cement, rebar, cement, rebar, reinforcements there, and then they begin to build the structure itself. So if you don't have the right foundation, what is going to happen to you in life? And this is thoroughly biblical as well, because Christ talked about you should build your house on a what? On a rock, not on sand. It's sinking. And so any resolution that you have must be built on something. And I'm proposing that it's this. When I say it's a worthy resolution, fearing God, if you can build any choice, any resolution on a fear of God, then it may last. It may last. It may last. And I would say if it's truly built on the fear of God, it will last. You may have to alter it a bit. It may change somewhat, but it's going to last. Developing a fear of God. This is important. It's obviously important because 160 times in the Bible, it tells us that we should fear God. Now, some people get troubled by that thought. They say, how can I possibly fear God, but also love God? If I have a loving relationship with God, I can't possibly also fear God. Well, you can, and the scripture is absolutely clear. Uh, What is the greatest commandment? Someone tell me. What's the greatest commandment? You shall what? With all your what? And your what? Exactly. Exactly. But it also says that there is scripture time and time again, there is no fear of God before them, or either you must fear me to fear God. You can have both. Some people get confused because when they think about fear, they're thinking about judgment that's going to come. And for a Christian, uh, it says the love of God is cast out the fear of death or the fear of the future. Why? Because now we're in Christ. I don't have a fear of death. If you're in the Lord, you should not fear death. Do you agree with that? No, as a matter of fact, uh, death is a blessing because we escape this world and we go into the next life. I had a good friend who was a fellow elder with me in the church that I planted in the L.A. area. And he texted me um, just yesterday, and he says, Carl, I have some news. He said, my mom, um, she went to be with the Lord. Now, she was 90, but he said, no, it was a, we were in shock. She was not hospitalized. She was, there was no illness. Uh, There's nothing that led to it. And she just went to be with the Lord. And I wrote him back and I said, oh my, I said, I was just, and I was, I was just looking at a picture of her yesterday on Facebook that his sister had posted. And I was thinking about her. I said, wow, she has to be up there now. And I said, but the great thing about it, the comfort is she's in the everlasting arms, but that doesn't take away the hole that it also places in your heart. You know, they're in the everlasting arms, but you still miss the person that that's how can you have both? See, there is. There's a strong contrast. Now this person is away and they're gone and you miss this person, but you also have joy because you know they're in the everlasting arms. Can you have both? Can I feel my my loved one is in heaven? I would not in a hundred lifetimes wish that they return to this place. Do we agree with that thought? But in one sense, I wish they were in this place because they could be with me. 
So fear God and love God. Yes, I can love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and strength. That's what I'm striving for. But also fear him because to fear God means that I see God for who he is and his greatness. And I revere him. And there's even a sense in which we can fear God uh, as a child might with a parent. I had a fear of my dad growing up. But I also loved my dad. And my kids, I think they have a healthy fear of me now. Um, But hopefully they love me as well. And why? Because there are times that my dad uh, and even uh, other uncles as well and even aunts where it was, hey, go get me a switch. Now, I I know this is recorded, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) You know, back in the day, I'll tell you, that's what they did. You went and got a switch. And it was like, that was in one sense kind of mean because you had to get the the very thing that you were going to get punished with and you had to bring it to them. And a switch was a little branch from a tree and they'd peel off the the leaves and you got a little pop, 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 pop. Um, It was really more than a pop. (laughs) And then they would actually tell you, and don't bring me back some little bitty switch, right? (laughs) So you like... Okay, you didn't exactly bring a log, but you weren't going to bring a thread either. So somewhere in between. But guess what? I love my dad. I love mom. I love the aunts and uncles. It gave me a little spanking as growing up. But I had a fear of them. When they spoke, they meant something. I was talking with someone just the other day. We were talking about parenting. I said, one key to parenting is consistency. My wife will tell you, other relatives will tell you, I was always consistent. If I said it, I meant it. Yeah. I said it, I meant it. No, stop. I meant that. I meant for you to stop. So my kids knew that if they're going to be, there may be consequences if I did it again. And I've always told parents to avoid uh, Nassau, I call it Nassau parenting. Um, In Nassau, not in Jamaica, uh, but in a S.A., uh, what is NASA known for? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. So you know what sort of parenting I'm talking about? Now, if I have to tell you again, one more time. You don't mean that. And then it's three, two, two and a half, two and an eighth, two and a sixteenth. And, and we're counting down. So now the kids have no fear. You don't really mean it. I had a fear of of people that were my authority growing up, but I also loved them. I have great memories with my dad going to Daytona Beach. I had great memories with Uncle Samson going out bass fishing. But if I knew if he says, don't do that, I had to listen because I had a fear. You can have a fear of God because he's your heavenly father if you know him as Lord. And if you don't know him as Lord, you surely better fear him because your fear is different because you're facing his eternal wrath. And I can love him and I can fear because I know the consequences to life. But I also know this, that he's a loving father that often (laughs) what I have to do is fall in his mercy. And then he says, "Okay, you were going to get a chastisement, but this time you won't. It won't be as much. So why is this lesson important? Because you make a resolution, it has to have a foundation. And that foundation is the fear of God. So as you see there, I want to offer you six pictures of God's greatness that should help you develop a biblical fear of God and afford you all the benefits of those who fear his name. A little long proposition, but nonetheless, what's the point? Let's look at God. Let's think about how he is great and we should fear him. Then if we fear God, you're going to have a, develop a biblical fear of him. Um, the world doesn't fear God properly. As a matter of fact, the world doesn't fear God. I was just talking to George Crawford and he was referencing something that he taught the ladies at women walking wisely. And remember the unjust judge. And remember the unjust judge says what? Um, he doesn't what? He doesn't fear God or man. And there are people that live that way. They have no fear of God before their eyes. And so we as believers must have a fear of God because that is the foundation of life. Notice with me, if you will, Acts 9.31. Acts 9.31, one of our first texts. And then I'm going to set 
sort of the table for this a little bit more. And then we're going to walk our way through these other texts in scripture, these six pictures of God's greatness, Acts 9 31. And it says what about the early church? This is important. Fear was its foundation. They went about, it says what? In the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Think about, now notice what was just said. They went about, they're doing the work of the Lord, and they do it in the fear of God, realizing that I've been commissioned, and if I've been commissioned, then I must follow through on what this great commander-in-chief has commanded me to do. But notice, here is two words that you don't often think about together, but here it is. Just like we said we can have fear and love, here there's fear and comfort. Because you would think, wait a minute, uh, if I fear, that means comfort has been removed. Now, when we fear naturally, it means that we're out of our comfort zone, are we not? Yeah, it does. So I can't have comfort when I'm also fearing something. Because now the reason I have a fear, some trepidation or some danger perhaps, is because my comfort is gone. But here, the two are working in perfect harmony. They, they feared God, but guess what was happening at the same time? They were being comforted by the Holy Spirit. And why were they being comforted? Because they were fearing God. Because they were doing God's will. And because they were not fearing man. You remember what the scripture tells us? Shall we fear God or what? Man. We must fear God. We must preach the gospel. And because they had a fear of God, they did not fear man. And they went on with the ministry. And as a result, they were comforted by the Holy Spirit. So foundational for us to think that through. Also, turn with me to Proverbs 1 and 7. And what does Proverbs 1 and 7 tell us? And key texts here. Proverbs 1, 7, a foundational. And it says what? Obviously, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. You want to know wisdom, instruction, discern sayings, receive instruction. It gives prudence to the naive. Uh, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wisdom to understand a proverb. Verse 7 says what? The fear of, the, of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or we might even say fools don't fear God. So the question is, will we be foolish? No one sets on a path towards foolishness. No one says that's my goal in life to be a fool. But people, uh, by their goals, often prove that there are fools because they've decided not to have a fear of God in their hearts. So foundational to the Christian experience is a fear of God. It is the beginning of knowledge, true knowledge, uh, not a waning knowledge. So we see here, let's look at this first example. Let me give you the outline, actually. Um, Number one is this, a God whose sovereignty cannot be thwarted. So this is picture number one of God. Number two, a a God whose holiness cannot be desecrated and must be emulated. So God's holiness is here to stay, but yet it's something that we must follow. Then number three, we would say this, a God whose power, whose power cannot be defeated. I must fear God because he, uh, his track record is absolute. It is perfect. Why would I not fear him? And then number four, a God whose guidance cannot fail. Surely I will fear God. He guides me throughout life. Then number five, a God whose faithfulness cannot be diminished. God is a faithful God. Amen. Uh, great is his what? Faithfulness. And it's new how often? Every morning. Then number six, a God whose compassion cannot be withstood or or replaced. He is a compassionate God. So number one, uh, in these next moments ahead, let's go through all of them and then take the verses, think about them, ask yourself in this coming year, why would I not fear this God and why would I not love a God that is so great? That's your foundation. Build on that foundation. Uh, Number one, a God whose sovereignty cannot be thwarted. 
So we think about God's sovereignty in a nutshell. What is that? It is God's absolute control over the, over the universe. God's sovereignty. What does this mean? That God has, number one, the right to do as he pleases. So when we think about God's sovereignty, it is this. God has the power to do as he pleases. So because some people may have the right, but they don't have the power. Because if you don't have the ability to enact on your right, then it's no good. Um, and it's God's ability to choose as he pleases. God chooses as he pleases. God chooses an election. God chooses over the nations. God has chosen you to come to faith if you know him. Now, listen about this. His absolute control over the universe. What are some examples? And let's go through some of them. As you see here, he, he has control over what seems to be insignificant. Matthew ten twenty nine, Because it says there that that is the picture of the sparrow that is hopping on the ground. And you think, wait a minute, what is a sovereign God? Why does he bother himself with even a, a small bird that is hopping on the ground? But that's a picture of his absolute control of every element in life. So you say to yourself, going into 2022, remind yourself of some basic principles. If God is absolutely controlling and is aware of a small bird hopping on the ground, how much more is he aware of the circumstances that I'm facing in life? Do you agree with that? You must. And then Revelation 4.11. God is absolutely sovereign in creation. God is the one that has created all things and he has created them for his ultimate glory. And God will actually one day destroy all things and recreate all things because he's absolutely sovereign. Um, Daniel 4.35 tells us what? That God is absolutely sovereign over the nations. And this is why the Christians should not fret. They shouldn't. Someone said, um, when we look at the world today, uh, we have a threat that's in um, Asia through China. Eventually, who knows when we'll fight them. I talked to people that in the military and those that are especially in the Marines um, that are stationed in the Pacific. Uh, that's their whole nation is preparing to fight with China. And they were talking about some of the techniques that they're going to use. And now you have the Russians that are on the border of the Ukraine, supposedly 175,000 troops there. Uh, now NATO is coming together saying, what should we do? What is going to be our response? If they invade Ukraine, what will the United States do? Hmm. And then we have issues with uh, a crazy dictator in North Korea who is attempting to be a threat. I don't really think he is, um, because guess what? You still have, you may think you uh, have power uh, and be a madman, but if you don't have a big enough club, you really, it really doesn't matter. Uh, that's the reality of it. But you look at the nations and you say, look at our world. And let's just move away from warfare and you just think about how um, COVID-19 has affected the world. People have lost jobs. People have gotten fired. Uh, you can't come into our country because we have detected that there is some variant in this country, which is what happened to me when I went to South Africa. That all of a sudden, literally, as I'm in the air, um, nations are making decisions about other nations. And I land and they're saying, if you're from any of these nine countries, you cannot come back to the United States unless you're an American citizen. Which makes no sense whatsoever. I do, do have to comment on that. Because think about it for a moment. <laughs> and you, you already caught it, didn't you? Hmm, let's see. Okay, they're saying, let's protect America from Omicron. But if you're an American citizen, you can come back if you have a negative test. But if you're not an American citizen, you can't, you can't come back with, an, with a negative test. I guess I show my passport to the variant and it says, stay off of me. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. But... The world is not making a great deal of sense right now, is it? It's not. So it is the world. But God is still sovereign over what? The world. Over the nations. And all the things that have happened as a result of this Omicron or Delta or COVID itself are all under the hands of a sovereign God. And to that, that should be a comfort to the Christian. So the pressures that it's caused certain people... Sovereignty. Churches that have revealed who they truly are. Sovereignty. Family tensions. Sovereignty. 
A loss of a job, sovereignty. Their business has gone over, sovereignty. And then there are other opportunities that happen as uh, it's not all negative, because the things that I just named, you say, well, that's all negative. Where is a loving, kind God? What it also means that in God's sovereignty, he also affords us and about their fears. Opportunities to care for, for the elderly because you, you want to protect them from it. Those are all afforded to you as well. And we could go on and on and on. But God is still a sovereign God that is in absolute control. So he's over the nations. And next, he is sovereign in regenerating hearts. Um, <clears throat> let's look at that text. may not be as familiar from that standpoint. Look with me to James. At James. James 1, 8, um, 1, 18, I'm sorry, 1, 18 says, uh, well, this verse 17 will put it in context. Every good thing given and perfect gift is from where? From above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Uh, then it says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So uh, based on whose will did we come to faith on our own, based on our own will, that we wake up one day and say, you know what, I am going to make Christ Lord of my life. It's the best decision for 2022. No, you don't do that. It's the exercise of his will, and it's his gracious will. And all of us should be thankful who know the Lord that God decided to call us to faith. Amen. I was sharing, had some visiting with some people recently and went around the table and they were sharing testimonies. And that's always a fascinating thing, isn't it? Like how people come from different stations in life and and hurts and pains. And maybe sometimes God uses the frustrations and hurts. How many of you that know the Lord, um, you went through difficulty and you could see the path that difficulty brought you to faith? I would raise my hand. Now, that's not true with everyone because some, you know, people come to the Lord early in life. They're five, six, ten years old and they haven't gone through any difficulty in life. And they come and that's wonderful, right? Because we want them to come as early as they can. But some of us later in life, God takes us through something and taking us through something. We see our own deficiencies and we realize that there are no answers inside of us and we must turn somewhere. And where do we turn? We turn to the living God. It's God sovereignly using even hurt and pain to even bring us to faith. And so here it says it's the exercise of his will that he brought us by way of the truth. And we should be thankful for that. And you say, why would I not fear this God? We should fear him. Because God is um, sovereign in what? Number five, God is sovereign in election. He elects some to salvation. This is what we see in Ephesians chapter one. Second Thessalonians 2.13, he has chosen some, it says, from the beginning. And what that means is he, in his sovereign plan, elected you before you even had a thought. And not only before you had a thought, before there was a universe. He decided he would set his affection on you. That's God's sovereignty. He chooses as he pleases. Philippians 2.13, let's turn there. Look at Philippians 2.13. He is also sovereign in sanctifying people. In Philippians 2.13, it says, uh, verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear. Notice, uh, but we've already established that we can have both. We fear God because we realize the greatness even of salvation itself. And we should, as a believer, realize the cost of salvation. If the cost of salvation, which it is, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, how can I not appreciate this salvation all the more and fear God? But notice he says, with fear and trembling, verse 13, yes, you work it out. However, a sovereign God is what? At work in you. Verse 13 for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for whose good pleasure? For his good pleasure. Because he's sovereign. Here's another way in which God is sovereign. He's sovereign in suffering. 
First um, Peter three seventeen. Uh, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right. Now, notice what it says. Theology that want to tell us that it is never God's will for the people of God to suffer. It is always the fault of the devil. We'll deal with that text right there. Many other texts. God willed it that they suffer. Because through suffering, we identify with Christ. And when we identify with Christ, if we respond to it properly, then we are molded more into the image of Christ. And I've said this before. I'm sure you've heard many preachers say this as well. Um, if, I, if we were to simply have a survey and say, how many of you want to be more like Christ? And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you would say, amen and amen. I want to be like Christ. But then we say, in order to be like Christ... It may mean a road of suffering. It may mean hurt and disappointment and pain. Find an individual in all of scripture and all of Christian history that had any significant impact on the faith that did not suffer. Who is that person that didn't suffer? They don't exist. So why do we think we should escape it? But God is sovereign. Here's a second reason that God is great and we should fear him. And I have six and I'm going to make my way through them. Um, Number two, a God whose holiness cannot be desecrated and must be emulated. Exodus um, 15, 11, it tells us that God is majestic in holiness in Job, God will not pervert justice. First Peter, it says, you shall be holy for I am what? Holy. And when I say it can't be desecrated, nothing. by some sense of his great grace, we are called to actually be holy as God is holy. Whereas before it was just the opposite because Romans 5 tells us that prior to coming to Christ, we were what? We were enemies of God. We were ungodly. We were helpless. We were sinners. And now we can be just the opposite. We can be a people who will hold it. And you say, well, uh, it cannot be desecrated. Of course it cannot be desecrated because God's holiness is intrinsic to his unchanging character. And notice what we had already considered from John, not John, but James 1.17. There is no shifting shadow with God. He is unchanging in his character. Uh, We talked earlier about how we are developing and we all want to develop. And the beautiful thing about God, there is no development with God. He is not getting better at being divine. He's not better at mercy. We are all growing to be better at all of those things. There are certain things, and let me make sure I speak correctly. um, You cannot be better at because you have no ability to be sovereign. You'll never be better at omnipresence. You'll never be better at omnipotence. There are certain things that are unique only to God, but those attributes that we can emulate, we're striving to be better in each one of them. And I would say that um, it must be emulated because it's vital to our own character. Notice, if you will, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It's vital to our own character. I've, I've used this term better, but let's think about what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, that we're to be a people who are doing what? Perfecting holiness. And notice what it says in what? If you're there, how to fear and even holiness. Why should I fear God? Because when I fear God, it's going to cause me and motivate me to strive for holiness all the more. So perfecting holiness, that is growing in holiness in the fear of God. God, I fear you. I should, be want, I should want to be more like you. Um, so to strive for holiness is most definitely a resolution worthy of keeping. Do you agree with that? Um, and I would say we have to strive for holiness because that's what we're called to be a Christian. Let's just go back to, to one Oh one. We're a Christian. We follow Christ, the example of holiness. Number three, what is something about God's greatness that should motivate us to fear him and keep a worthy resolution? A God whose power cannot be defeated. 
It is eternal. It cannot be defeated. Um, Isn't it wonderful when we look through scripture, we see what? We see a track record of victory, do we not? And that's why the scripture would tell us often that we have our victory in the Lord. And this is why often we see God is saying to the people of God, it is not by strength and it is not by might, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And this is why often God would say, uh, do you think you're going to gain victory from chariots? Uh, Will you have an alliance with the Egyptians? No. It is by me. And this is why it tells us when it's looking to Israel, even into its future, that no weapon against you shall be what? Victorious. Or no weapon formed against you will be successful because I am on your side. Now, some people get confused and I've heard people take corrupt theology and they'll take that verse and say, no weapon formed against you shall succeed. And then they have everybody stand up and say to one another. So turn to your brother and say, no weapon formed against you will succeed and say to your friend, no weapon formed against you will succeed. And then someone's standing there and they have cancer. Hmm. Then you just see this, the cruel silliness of it all. That's not what the text is saying. So what do you do with that? My friend texted me and his mom just like that. Went to be with the Lord. You say, well, she's 90, but it was coming. But it just was sudden. What do you do with that? And even some of these crackpot preachers recently... Uh, faith preachers who were, you remember Kenneth Copeland who, who blew against COVID-19. <laughs> People get sick. What, what happens then? What about the weapon against you that doesn't succeed? What about several that actually died? What about death itself? Why, if that's the case, if that's God's intention, why do we not all like Enoch? And he walked with the Lord, and what does it say? And he was no more. Oh, I love that. Wouldn't you, what a walk with the Lord. I mean, you're walking with the Lord, you have this wonderful fellowship with him, and the Lord just, because it says the Lord did what? The Lord just took him. He just skipped death. But it's not like that. We're all degenerating. We're all dying. But if we're in the Lord, ultimately, his power is what? Majestic, it's irresistible, it's incomparable, right? Bring it on. Because then I, I go from this mad world and my struggle with sins and my disappointments, and I don't have to make any resolutions anymore about being better at this and better at that. And next year in 2023, I'll be kinder or gentler. It's all gone. Because now I've been transferred from this place. So bring it on. And then I, I think about having communion with God. And, and we can have sweet communion with the Lord here. We pray. We read the Bible. We meditate on it. Imagine what it would be then. You get translated from life. From this life into the next life. And now there it is. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And well done. That good and faithful servant. What communion would that be? And why would you not want that now? So death, no, it's been defeated. Christ conquered, amen. And that's the book of Revelation. It says death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. Now think about that conceptually. I mean, hell is going to be, hell is going to be punished. Death is going to be placed into the lake of fire. Why? Because of Christ. So you say, should I fear God? Absolutely you should. Should you resolve? Uh, Perhaps you should. But one thing you should resolve is that I will fear God in 2022 and beyond. And then all the other pieces of life will come together in their proper time and their proper way. And then if I fear God, then I also think properly about what is the order of these resolutions? What comes first? What is second? So let's move on. The fourth consideration for you is this. The fourth consideration is a God whose guidance cannot fail. Will guide me. Pause there for a moment and think about that simple but very profound truth. 
God guides us through life. God is a shepherd. What do shepherds do with sheep? They guide them, do they not? And uh, some of you, and myself included, I mean, I'm, I'm more urban, although you've, you know I like to get out and about and outdoors, but I've never attended to sheep. Um, I can read all I can about it. I think I'm familiar with it from the standpoint of talking to people about it. But sheep need to be guided, do they not? Huh. Because they will do what? All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him what? The iniquity of us all. And this is why he is called the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And this is why people that don't, don't even know the Lord may even have Psalm 23 memorized. Glory of his name. And so God is going to guide us in a way that will bring him the most glory. And if we can be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, God, I'm so thankful that that request, you did not answer it the way in which I presented it. Because that would, have not, that would not have brought you the most glory. And sometimes the things that brings God the most glories, and I might even, glory, not glories. Well, you can't actually say glories, but not in that sentence structure. Glory um, is this. When you actually go through difficulty and heartache, can you come out on the other end and you can say glory to God? And then people look at you who don't know the Lord and they say, what, glory to God? I thought you said God was a loving, kind, generous, wonderful God. You just went through that. Exactly. I went through it, but I went through it with him. Amen. Take you through it. Because on the other side, I'm more like Christ. And my life is different than your life. Because I have a foundation. And even if I would have died, I have bliss. He does it for his name's sake, for his glory, not yours. That sovereign plan for your life cannot be disrupted. God's faithfulness demands it. Here's a fifth reason that God is great and you should fear him. It is this God, a God whose faithfulness cannot be diminished. Um, Deuteronomy 32 tells us, and if you just read that whole chapter, it really is a statement of God's faithfulness. Lamentations 3.23 and 22 and 23 tells us what, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Let's just read it together for me. Lamentations 3. Notice how it begins in verse 19. Verse 19 in Lamentations 3. Remember my affliction and my wandering. It says the wormwood and bitterness. Now you think, where is God? Remember my affliction. Shouldn't it read, remember the joy of life. Remember the victories that you gave me. Remember how nothing formed against me was successful. No, it says, remember my affliction, my wandering, wormwood, bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Life is difficult. Notice what he says in verse 21. Notice the transition. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. So pause for a moment. Listen to what I'm saying right now. So he's saying, here is life itself. I remember the bitterness of life. And what I must do in those bitter moments of life, that will give you hope. Circumstances won't give you hope. Because they can change on a dime. Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness, or Yahweh's loving kindness, indeed never cease. For his compassions do what? Never fail. They are, how often are they new? Every morning. How many mornings? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning. I love going for my runs, and I did it this morning. Um, and I was out, and it was beautiful. As I call it, my preaching runs. It's more walk right now. And um, I was out, it was crisp, the wind was blowing, clear, you could just see as far as, it was beautiful. And some of you have been to my home, so you kind of know what I'm talking about. And as I look to the west, I could see some of the mountains. This morning, I'm going to talk about fearing God. Why would I not fear God? I mean, look around me. And this was effortless for him to create. And he simply spoke it into being, and let it be. And it was. 
And then the rain that comes down, that's, that's as a result of God's command, is it not? And all the rain that we got, remember, was last week, it rained for like 37 hours on a row. And I looked at the radar and I saw the storm. At one point in time, it was all the way from Fresno down to Tijuana. Because the Lord says, let it be. I say, wow, God is faithful every day. You say, well, how can it be faithful? The times are difficult. It's hard. God is faithful every day. And this is what you see here. But what do I do? I remember God's faithfulness. And that will help me fear the Lord. Amen. So let's move on. Um, to a six point. A six point. Um, a God whose compassion cannot be withstood or replaced. Go with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9. And a couple more minutes and we'll conclude. Skipping it. There it is. For he says to Moses, what is this saying? When I say withstood or replaced, um, you're here today. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are here standing, sitting as a believer because you could not resist God's compassion on you. And when God says, I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion, that is sovereignty. To one person I have compassion, and to another I will not. That's what sometimes in family members, you have family members who died without Christ. But you have another, their memorial was a sweet home going. Because he decided, I have compassion on them, and not on the other. Can we figure this out? No, because you would have to enter into the mind of God fully and understand it. But we just accept that that's his prerogative. So why should I fear God? I tell you why you should fear God. Why <laughs> on you when you were undeserving of it? And he had compassion on you and the other people that he did not. And it was not because you were any better. Or you had quote, I've heard people say, Well, God knew they had potential. Ridiculous. No. It's because he's a compassionate, sovereign God, amen. And you should say to yourself, God, thank you. Where would I be without you? What is the substitute for God? There is none. So I say you should build on that foundation. See, this cannot be replaced. There is no substitute for God's compassion. This is what the psalmist tells us in 36 and 90 as well. In Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses um, he, he remembers God's compassion, and essentially he's saying this kind of... So I pray that in 2022, we would all be better because we all need improvement, do we not? But we would build on the foundation of fearing God and say, God, whatever I resolve to do, I'm going to do it in a way that it would honor you. Amen? Father, we thank you that you are good and kind. Uh, Give us grace to fear you. In Christ's name, amen.